Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Today, we're continuing a series that we started uh, we started last week called Asking for a Friend. And this is actually a series that we did last year as well and covered some challenging topics last year. And we're not revisiting all those this year. And this year we decided let's bring the series back and just see what happens. And so we started last week and we talked about, and we answered the question, um, is it biblical for a woman to be a pastor? And we talked about that and kind of unpacked that together. And, uh, and so I'd love for you to go back. If you're interested, go back and listen to that or watch that online. Uh, and today we're looking at a different question. And if you are interested in being a part of this series, we're going to do two more weeks uh, of this series. And I would, I think I already know what we're talking about. Well, I do know what we're talking about this next weekend. And I would encourage you. I, I have been asked about what we're talking about next weekend more than any other topic, singular topic, since I've been a pastor. And I've never, ever preached a message on this topic. So... I would love for you to be here next week. Bring somebody with you. Invite someone. Invite somebody to watch online with you if uh, if you can't be here. Uh, so be here next weekend as we continue the series. Though, um, so if you want to be a part, you can simply text the word "asking for" the number four to the number nine four zero zero zero. And so, any of your questions, feel free. Send those in. We'll take a look. And uh, we've got. Like I said, two more weeks of this series, and uh, we'll probably do something too where we'll. Uh, rapid fire answer a lot of these questions that we can't get to on the weekend. Um, and we might do that on a video on Facebook or online, something like that. So send your questions in. We'll answer as many of those as we possibly can. Um, I got one question that really stood out to me, and it's a question that I've been asked several times, talked to families about several times since I've been here. And, and the text message we received, it went like this. It says, Proverbs teaches to train a child in the way they should go, and they won't depart from it as they grow old. How does a parent hold claim to that promise when their adult children seem to choose to walk away from their faith to the pleasures of the world? And now the verse that they're asking about is Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he was old, he will not depart from it. So last week what I did is we answered the question at the top and then we unpacked it together. This week we're going to approach it a little differently. What I'd like to do is kind of give some background about some different ideas and then we'll answer the question when we get to the end. Because the reality is there are so many people who are in this position, who who have kids that they've raised that are out of the house and their kids are doing their own thing, living their own life. And I acknowledge that this is real, that this is a struggle for many people. And this is what I want you to do. If you are a single person, uh, you don't have kids, maybe you've got small kids in your home, this message is for you too. So don't tune out. I want you to lean in. I want you to take notes because what we're talking about today is applicable for you as well. So one of the things that the person asks about is the promise. How do you, how do you hold claim to that promise? And so we're going to talk about some of the promises of God today, uh, unpack some of that together and walk through it. Um, one of the things I want to do, though, is I want to point out a couple things from the book of Proverbs. I want to read a verse to you from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 8. And there are several verses like this, but I picked this one randomly. Proverbs eleven eight 8 says this, The godly are rescued from trouble... And it falls on the wicked instead. The godly are rescued from trouble. Aren't you grateful for that? The godly are rescued from trouble. 
And we look at that and we go, I like that. That makes sense, especially if we are uh, aspiring to live a godly life, correct? We want to be rescued from trouble. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been living a godly lifestyle as best you could, serving God, you know, doing what you can, and you ever got into trouble? Now, this is not a trick question. Let me just help you. The answer is yes. Yes, you have. Okay, I want to help you. So if you've, if you've actually gotten into trouble and you weren't rescued from it, how do you reconcile this verse with what we see in Scripture? Because what we see in Scripture is Jesus actually says, hey, in this world, you're going to have troubles and trials of all kinds. That's what he tells us. So how do we reconcile what Jesus says in the book of John with what this passage in Proverbs said, that the godly are rescued from trouble? Because I don't know about you, there's been times I didn't feel like God was rescuing me from my trouble. And part of that is because the world we live in is a fallen, broken world. And bad things happen to good people sometimes. Unfortunately, we would like that not to be the case, but it is. Well, how do we reconcile that? I don't know, ladies, if you've been around church for a while, there's a passage in Proverbs chapter 31. And pastors and churches will roll out Proverbs 31 at Mother's Day because Proverbs 31 is like the ideal, perfect woman is basically what it is. And, uh, and I, remember, I remember at my, my dad's mom's funeral when my granny passed away, uh, the preacher in this little country church, he preached a message about the Proverbs 31 woman. And he was talking about how my granny was this Proverbs 31 woman. And it's this ideal in church that, that women are supposed to attain to. That's what, that's, uh, that's what we aspire for. And that's what we believe. That's what we've heard if you've been around church. And, and I won't read Proverbs 31 to you. Um, let, me just, let me just share a couple things and this isn't going to be on the screens. You won't see this because this wasn't in my notes for the, for the production team. But, but this is what it talks about from 10 to 31. I would love for you to read it. Um, it says in verse 10, Who can find a virtuous wife and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. And all the wives in the room are like, Heck yeah, more precious than rubies, baby. Don't you forget it, husband. Her husband can trust her. She greatly enriches his life. She does good, not harm. She finds wool and flax and busily spends it. She's making clothes and blankets and providing for her family. Um, it says that she, she brings back food from afar. So she goes out and brings food back and feeds the family. It says she gets up early and fixes breakfast for the household. Uh, she stays up late working. She's, she's in, in She's like an entrepreneur. She will go out and find fields to buy and buy the fields because it's profitable. I mean, she's, she is like every kind of perfect woman you could have ever imagine, all wrapped into one. Now, if you've ever read Proverbs 31, ladies, I don't know about you. I'm not even a woman, but I read this and I'm like, that seems like a lot. <laughs> she's, she's getting up early and staying up late. Now, I know a lot of moms who will do that, but they're not doing it on purpose they're doing it because their kids won't go to bed at night and then they get up at the crack of dawn. They're not doing it because they're like, man, I love this. This is awesome. But that's what we seem to believe. That if you're not fixing breakfast for your family every morning at 6 a.m. and you're not staying up till midnight working, then there might, might be something wrong with you because a Proverbs 31 woman will do that. That's the implication, it feels like. But let me help you with something. In Proverbs chapter 31, and I love this passage, it's fantastic, but I want you to understand it in context. So Proverbs 31 was never intended to be the standard for all women to live up to, okay? Proverbs 31 is actually a poetic device. What it is, from verses 10 
to chapter, verse 31, it is an acrostic. It's a Hebrew acrostic using the Hebrew alphabet. The first letter is verse 10. The second letter is verse 11. And it goes all the way down. And the reason they use this is because Hebrew parents, Jewish parents, would teach this to their sons so their sons would have a filter for the women they would meet. So they would say, this is the kind of woman you want someday. They're setting their standards high. So they're trying to help their kids understand, their sons understand, here's the kind of woman that you should look for. Don't settle just because she's hot and wears a short skirt. Like, that's not good, right? And let's be honest, a lot of guys do that. So they're trying to help their sons. But what's happened is we've taken this passage and we've guilt-tripped women for, for thousands of years and gone, this is the way you're supposed to be. If you're not doing this, maybe you don't measure up. So, so how does that happen? Well, the way it happens is we've approached the book of Proverbs the wrong way at times. So let me go to Proverbs chapter one, verse one. And this is what it says. This is the introduction to the book of Proverbs. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. So Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. And he says, it says their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insights to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. So what it's trying to do is help people who are immature in their age, they're either physically immature or spiritually immature, to understand the right paths, to understand biblical principles, things that are good for our lives. So this is the purpose of the book of Proverbs. Now, let's look at a couple of the promises of God. And before I, I do, I, I just, I'm going to show you a couple, but, but I want you to understand this from Scripture, that every promise of God is contingent on obedience. So when God gives you a promise, it is contingent on you being obedient to do what God's told you to do. If he gives you a promise and you're not obedient, he's not going to give you the promise. He's not going to fulfill it. That is the way the promises of God work in Scripture. So let me unpack a couple of these with you. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So how do we get rest? We come to Christ. There's a promise there, this implied promise, that you will receive rest. And how many of you know we need rest today, don't we? <laughs> Lord Almighty, emotional, spiritual, physical rest and we're looking for rest. How do we find it? When we come to Jesus. That's what he says. Come to me and you'll receive rest. Be obedient and I'll fulfill this promise for you. Isaiah 40, 31. It says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Again, how many of us would want that? We say, you know what? I want to find new strength. I'm exhausted, I'm worn out, I'm beaten down. I've got good news for you. God wants to give you new strength. How does that happen? By trusting in the Lord. I, I find myself worn out by trying to trust in my own strength and trying to do things in my own ability. But when I say, God, I don't know the answers, I don't know how to work this out, I'm gonna trust you, that's where I find new strength. So the strength of God is available, but it's contingent on trusting in the Lord. Philippians 4.9 says, Paul says to the Philippian church, keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then, 
the God of peace will be with you. So, so I believe God is giving us a promise through Paul and God is promising, promising us his closeness, his proximity. But that is contingent on us putting into practice all that we've learned and seen. See, we want the closeness of God, but we just don't want to do what God has told us to do. God, I want the benefits, but I don't want to do the stuff to get what you're asking me to, to get the promise. Last one I'll read to you. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, to Jesus, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. This seems pretty simple, right? Here's what God will do. He will cleanse us from all wickedness if we confess to him our sins. It, it has nothing to do with if we're really moral, if we're nice, if we're kind to people, then we'll get into heaven. Then will God will cleanse us. No, that promise that he'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness is contingent on us confessing our sin to him and going, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. So promises of God are contingent on obedience. Now, in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, there's this kind of promise. It's like a promise on steroids, if I can say it that way. And, and it's a covenant. So we see several covenants in Scripture. Um, just to simplify this, a covenant is like a promise, but a promise is contingent. A covenant takes it to another level. See, the world we live in today is not a world of covenants. It's a world of contracts. Uh, the ancient biblical world was contingent. Everything, everything fell into this idea of covenant. There were partnerships. And that's really what a covenant is. It's a partnership saying we're going to work together on something. Contract says, hey, we're going to work together as long as it's good for both of us. The second it's not good for both of us, we're out. The second you pull out of the contract, I'm absolved of the contract. If you don't hold up your end, I'm out. That's the way contracts work. Now what's happened is contracts have bled into every part of our society. If it's not good for me, I'm out of this thing. Uh, that's bled into relationships, friendships, partnerships, uh, work, marriage. Uh, we see this all the time that people go, nope, this isn't good for me. No, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. So now I'm absolved from holding up my end of the bargain. And this isn't the way things were supposed to work in the biblical context. It's supposed to be covenant. Covenant says, uh, I'm committed to you. You're committed to me in this relationship, whatever it looked like. Maybe it was a business. And, and we're committed to each other in partnership together. And even if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain. Even if you stop being faithful, I'm going to continue to be faithful. That's what covenant is in a nutshell. And so we see several covenants in Scripture. Typically, covenants are marked with a sign, a physical sign of some sort. So the very first covenant we see is in Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, there's a great flood. Uh, God floods the earth. It's, there's a huge amount of wickedness. And God rescues humanity. He rescues his creation through the ark. Um, when the flood resides and, and, and people are coming out of the ark, uh, God makes a covenant with Noah. And he says, I will never destroy the earth this way again. And what he's saying is, uh, we're going to be in partnership to take care of and steward the world and steward creation well. And so I, I'm making a commitment to you not to destroy the world like this again. And the physical sign he presents is, if you remember your Bible school stories, uh, the physical sign that he presents is the rainbow. The, the rainbow is a sign of their covenant together. We're covenanting, we're partnering together in this. 
You fast forward and we get to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and again in Genesis chapter 17, God makes this covenant with Abraham. And he basically says, if you sur surrender yourself to me, uh, I'm going to be your God. Uh, your descendants are going to number like the stars in the sky. I'm going to raise up a great nation from you. This is the covenant he makes with them. And it's broader than that. There's more to it than that. And the sign of this covenant is that men would be circumcised. That was the physical sign of the covenant with God. Fast forward a little further, we get to Moses. And Moses has a covenant with God. Moses and the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 11. And basically, God says that they, if they will obey the law and do what God has told them to do, that he's going to bless them and they are going to be his representative to all humanity. Fast forward a little further, we get to David in 2 Samuel. Uh, God makes a covenant with David and he says, he says if, if you will submit yourself to me, if you'll obey the law that I've commanded you, if, if we will be in relationship, then, then one of your descendants will sit on the throne for all eternity. He's talking about Jesus. So what we see in all four of these covenants basically is that humanity broke their end of the deal. And sometimes it didn't even take very long to break their end of the deal either basically said, yeah, God, we'll be faithful. We'll, we'll follow your commands. And the moment we could get out of that, we break the covenant. Remember what I said, covenant is two people being committed to each other. Even if one person's not, the other person's still committed. So even though we've been unfaithful, humanity's been unfaithful to the covenants that, that were set forth in the, the Old Testament, there's these prophecies about a new covenant, that God's going to create a new covenant with his people, with humanity, that will wrap up all the other covenants. And what we see is this is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the new covenant. We see this referenced in the uh, Old Testament as prophecy, and we see this referenced in the New Testament uh, talking about Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 8 specifically, it talks about Jesus as our new covenant. That what he's done is he said, even though humanity's been unfaithful, even though they promised, yeah, we're going to do whatever you asked us to do, God, they haven't. God's still holding up his end of the bargain. He sent Christ into the world. And Christ fulfills all of God's end of the deal in the covenants in this one moment. So Christ comes into the world. He's the new covenant for us today. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, what in the world does this have to do with my kids not knowing God? I'm glad you asked. Let's get back to Proverbs chapter 22. Remember what it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. In the New Living Translation, I like this, says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Direct your children onto the right path. It's almost like we're GPS. Because we as parents see things our kids don't see. Do you agree with that? Our kids are very short-sighted. They see this moment. They, they know how they feel right now, but they can't see tomorrow or the next day or the next day. They see right now. And our job as parents is to see the long term. We're, we're playing the long game. We're trying to have a perspective that our kids don't have. So as parents, part of our job is to direct their, our children into the right path, to say, here is the way you should go. Get on this road and you keep going, right? This is the right path. Now go this way. So when we look at this, it's interesting because the word train up and train up a child in the way they should go, in the Hebrew, it's a word hanak. And hanak means these two things, to train and to dedicate. To train up and dedicate. Now this word hanak is used five times in Scripture. 
One time it's interpreted as train up, where we see here. And then the other four times it's used uh, in Deuteronomy, it's used to describe what the people of Israel are supposed to do for their homes. They dedicate their homes to the Lord. And then what we see is Solomon uses this. Um, it's used in First Chronicles, and, or I'm sorry, yeah, First Chronicles and Second Kings, describing what happened in the uh, for the temple. So Solomon built the temple to the Lord, and then they dedicated it. So this word is used there as well. And what we see is this. The temple had a singular purpose. So today, in today's world, a church could meet anywhere. Um, a church could be in a bar. A church could be in a gym. A church could be in a big metal building, a barn, whatever it is. Lots of different places could have church because the church isn't about the building. It's about what happens in the building. It's about the people, the culture. But when we look at the temple, the temple had significance for a number of different reasons that we can't get into today. And not the least of which was the fact that the Spirit of God literally would reside at the temple. So when people wanted to visit the Spirit of God and worship, they would go to the temple. Um, this is where people would connect. They would worship. It was all about the singular purpose of meeting God in, in person, in place. We could come together for this. They were dedicated for this one singular purpose. And, and it's interesting to me when I look through this, that, that this word is used here. Train up a child in the way they should go. Dedicate your children in the way they should go. Dedicate them for a singular purpose. Dedicate them for, for this one reason. Now, I'm about to get in your business, so brace yourselves just a little bit. I don't want to frighten you or catch you unaware. Uh, it's interesting to me how many things we are dedicated to and how many things we dedicate our kids to in our lives. Speaking as a, a father of kids, one in college, one in high school, I understand this principle. Um, and if I was to talk to you and ask you, what are some things that you feel like you're dedicated to? You might say, my job. Well, how do I know you're dedicated to your job? Well, I'm putting in long hours. Um, I'm there every day. I'm, I'm working 40, 50, 60 hour weeks. Okay. That's great. What are some things your family's dedicated to? Well, um, my kids play sports. What sports do your kids play? Uh, well, my daughter is in uh, lacrosse and track and ballet and uh, cheer. And okay, and what about oh, my son? He plays baseball and football and basketball and he wrestles and hockey and you know, goes through the list. Okay, well, how much, how much time do you give to that? How do you know you're dedicated to it? Well, he's on the travel team. And so you know, we're practicing and practice an hour away and... You start adding up the time that you're giving to these things and you realize pretty quickly, yeah, we're dedicated to this, right? We're giving hours and hours and hours a week to our kids' athletics uh, and we don't blink an eye and athletics are a good thing, don't get me wrong. We've got coaches sitting in the room. I love you coaches, thank you. I'm not trying to get rid of athletics. Um, but what happens is we say, man, we're giving 10 hours a week to athletics for our kids that are eight, Right? We're spending hundreds of dollars on uniforms and travel and hotels and weekends and, well, that's great. What about God? Are you dedicated to God? Sure, we're dedicated to God. Well, how, how do you evidence that? Well, we, we love him. Okay, but, but where's the evidence of that? Well, we, we go to church. How much time does that take? Well, I mean, it's an hour and a half. 
okay? Well, we got to drive there too. That's, you know, 15 minutes each way. So, I mean, that's like two hours a week we're giving to God. We're dedicated. And we go almost every week. I mean, we're going, you know, once a month or twice for sure. And we'll watch online sometimes too. But we're dedicated to God. I told you I'm getting in your business today. What if we were legitimately dedicated to God? What if we said, my relationship with God isn't something that's just gonna happen on the weekend, on a Sunday, if we have time, if we feel like it, if everything falls into perfect alignment, we're gonna go to church together. What if it wasn't even about church attendance? What if it was about every single day putting in the work, getting with God, saying, I'm gonna carve out time that I'm gonna spend with the Lord? What if our dedication to God looked like our dedication to athletics or our, our job or, or, or our academics? Because I don't know about you, my daughter doesn't wanna go to school every day. Does anybody have a child that wants to go to school every single day? Probably not. If so, well, yeah, we need to talk, so yeah. But what do we do? We wake up in the morning and go, Timmy, do you want to go to school today? Timmy goes, nah, I don't want to go to school, Ma. And you go, okay, no problem. You get to stay home. That doesn't happen. You know why? Because you don't want Timmy to be an idiot. <laughs> you don't want Timmy living in your basement when he's 45 because he didn't get an education. So you're like, no, sir, you're going to school. Oh, mom, and you know, his hair's all nappy and crazy. He doesn't even like brush it down at all. And he's going, croutons in the eyeballs. He's going to school, right? <laughs> you have made the decision. We are dedicated to this. Why are you doing this? Because there's a path you want him to go down. You have a destination in mind for Timmy. And it does not include him staying at home and skipping school. You're going to put him on the right path. You're going to get your education because it's going to take you someplace you want to be, right? What if we approached our faith that same way and said, hey, you know what? I know you're uncomfortable doing this, but we're going to pray together as a family. I know we normally don't talk about spiritual things, but we're going to have some spiritual conversations. Hey, we're going to talk about, what do you think Pastor Mel meant when he said, let's unpack this together as a family. What if we did that? What if we legitimately dedicated our families, our kids to the Lord? What if we made God a priority in our kids' lives instead of making it something that we squeezed in if we also had some time? I've said this before. You know what's not gonna help them when they're 35 and married and in a difficult divorce? If they were on the travel team when they were 12. It's not going to matter. What's going to matter in that moment is they have a foundation of Jesus Christ in their life. And it's up to parents to put them on the right path. So the question comes back to Proverbs 22, 6. Is this a promise for my child's salvation? The answer is no. I'm sorry. The bad news is it's not a promise that your kid, if you raise them in church, that they are going to be a Christian. They're gonna come back to it at some point. That's not a promise from God. Unfortunately, what happens is parents will believe this is a promise and then when it doesn't happen, they get angry with God. God, you said. God, you said, and I did my best and look what happened. This is what I want you to understand. 
The bad news is, is this is not a promise from God. The good news is, this is a principle that is true. It doesn't mean it's foolproof. It doesn't mean it's a promise. It's definitely going to happen. What it means is, it's more likely than not, if you put your kids on the right path, you dedicate them to the Lord, you train them in the right ways, and you point them in the right direction, yeah, they may get off the path at some point. But the principle says, if you've done all these things on the front end, there's an excellent chance they're gonna find the path again. It is not a promise though. And the reason it can't be a promise is because of choice, because of free will. Here at Summit, we believe that God is sovereign above all things. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. But we also believe that in his sovereignty, he has given us free will. That doesn't mean that God is not sovereign, but what it means is he is sovereign enough to let us make some choices about some things, that we are not robots. He allows us to do that knowing that we're still gonna make the wrong decision about things. That's how much he loves us. There's a passage in Deuteronomy I wanna share with you. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses had led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. They had wandered the wilderness. Um, he was at the end of his life. The nation of Israel was in rebellion. They were, they were not serving God. And we see this man with perspective at the end of his life that he probably lacked earlier. And this is what he says to the nation of Israel. And I believe this is the, the heart of God for us today. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and on earth to witness the choice you make. Now listen to what he says. Listen to the heart of this, this fatherly figure for the people. He says, Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Oh, I love this heart. He says, you have a choice to make. And the choice you make today have implications, not just for you, but for your kids and your kids' kids and their kids. Does it guarantee that they're all gonna go to heaven? No, what it says is, is I'm making a choice today to serve Christ, to make Jesus Lord of my life. And when I do that, it changes the direction of my, my kids' destinies. It's, it's influencing how my kids are gonna be raised and how their kids are gonna be raised and how their kids are gonna be raised. And Moses understands this because he's at the end of his life and he's telling the people, and remember, this sounds like a crazy choice to make. Life and death. Who would choose death, right? But don't we choose death every day? Don't we choose things that are more comfortable and easier, more expedient for us every single day rather than choosing what's best, what's godly, what's right, what's righteous? In this moment, Moses is calling this out and his heart is not a heart of condemnation for the people, but his heart is broken. And he says, oh, that you would choose life. Oh, that you would get this one right. Because it's not just about you. It's about your descendants. It's about future generations. He says in verse 20, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. 
If you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do we do it? We just surrender our hearts, give everything to him, say, God, I am yours. And there are implications all the way down your family tree. So what now? Well, I tell you this, if you have kids in your home, or maybe you don't yet have kids, maybe you're a couple that haven't had children yet, or maybe you're single and you expect someday you will have kids, I want you to do something for me. Um, dedicate your kids to the Lord. Don't just make spiritual things something that's thrown in from time to time. Prioritize the spiritual things. Dedicate your kids to the Lord. You know, we had baby dedications before the other services today, and we have a ceremony we go through, and we pray over the kids, and that's great, but that is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the practice of every single day talking about leading our kids and our families toward the cross of Jesus Christ. Dedicate your kids to the Lord. Even if you haven't done it up to this point, do that. And the second thing I would say is pastor your kids. Um, we've got a couple people on staff who are fantastic. Ricky Ingram does a great job. Uh, he's our youth pastor here at this church. Does a wonderful job. He works with teenagers, sixth through 12th grade. And, and I've got a daughter that's in the youth ministry, one that she came out of the youth ministry, and they do a wonderful job. I'm grateful for Pastor Ricky and his team and what they do for our teenagers. We've got uh, Pastor Christina Butterworth. She's our kids pastor. She is phenomenal. She does a great job. And if you've got kids back there, you understand she's got energy and passion, enthusiasm. But I want you to know something. Ricky is not the pastor of the teenagers of this church. And Christina is not the pastor of the kids of this church. The parents are the pastor of the kids and teenagers of this church. Ricky's job is to help the parents of teenagers. Christina's job is to help the parents of children. Your job is to pastor your kids. It's your job to make sure they get to heaven. It's your job to make sure they understand the ins and outs of what the Bible is trying to tell us and who Jesus is. It's your responsibility. The good news is we'll help you, but it's your responsibility. So pastor your kids. Maybe you've got grown kids. If you've got grown kids and you dedicated them to the Lord, you did all the right things, you did what you were supposed to do, whether they're in church today or out of church today, I want you to be at peace because you have done all you can do. I was talking to someone last night and I said this to them. I've seen some great parents who had idiot children, right? They did everything they were supposed to do and their kids still went off the rails and did crazy things. And I've seen idiot parents who had great kids. There's no way these kids should have turned out the way they did, but they did. Why? It's because of what we just talked about. Choice. Your kids get to choose. So if you're a parent with grown kids, your kids are out of the house, and you did all you were supposed to do, you really did your best, you take peace in that. And say, God, I'm gonna trust you. Because this is what I want you to hear today. The God of the universe loves your children more than you do. 
He wants to see your kids saved more than you do. Since the beginning of time, he has been in hot pursuit of your children's soul. So if you've done all you can do, be at peace. You keep praying, you keep trusting, you keep having conversations. And that's what I would tell you to do, whether they are Christians or not, talk with them about Jesus, normalize spiritual conversations. Maybe you recognize that there's some things you should have done that you didn't do. Maybe you recognize, man, I was not the kind of parent I needed to be when my kids were young and you feel responsible for where they're at today. Let me encourage you in this. This is one of, maybe one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life. I want you to go to your kids and if God has worked in your heart and you are a different parent today than you were when they were in your home, repent to them. Go to them and say, you know what? I made some mistakes. Man, we should have prioritized spiritual things more. We should have prioritized Jesus more in our home. And I was uncomfortable. I didn't because of where I was. And I feel like that's impacted you guys. But I want you to know something. I'm different today. I've made a choice. And I see what God's doing in my life. And I don't want you to miss what, what God is wanting to do. I don't want you to miss the blessing. I don't want you to miss the relationship. Talk to them about it. And see what happens. I don't want this message to be condemning at all. So if you're here today and you feel a pang of guilt, don't. That you cannot change your past, but you can change your future. So maybe you weren't the parent you wanted to be in the past. Maybe you've made some mistakes. That's okay. Move on. Change from this day forward. Purpose, make a choice and see what God will do in your life. <laughs> maybe you're here today and you're one of those kids Maybe you showed up to church today and you've been coming to church, but you know you're not really living for God. You know you're not living the way you were raised to live. You know you're running from the Lord and today is your day to surrender your life to Christ. Oh, that you would choose life. Oh, that you would choose life. That's the call of our Father to you today. Choose life. Let me pray for you. God, we love you today. God, I can't believe that you would love us. You would care for us in spite of our failures, in spite of how we have broken covenant, we have broken relationship, we have been unfaithful. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for Jesus. <laughs> he makes us new, makes us white makes us righteous, holy. Thank you. We don't deserve him, but God, you've given him to us freely. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that have never chosen you. Let today be the day they choose life. I pray for those that are here, parents that feel brokenhearted, guilty, condemned because they've got kids that are far from you. I pray today your Holy Spirit would comfort them. Help them see that, that you haven't given up on those kids, that you are still in hot pursuit of their souls. So God, I pray that they would not feel anxious, but Lord, help them be at peace because you are good and you are in control. I pray that you would send right people their way to speak life into these kids. I pray for the parents that you would give them wisdom, give them understanding of what to say and how to say it. 
Give them boldness to be able to have spiritual conversations, conversations about, about Jesus that maybe they never have before. Let it start today. So God, have your way with us over these next few moments. Now, with nobody looking around, your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be. I just need to make the choice. I need to choose life today. If that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you right where you're at. So if you'd say to me, Mel, I wanna be included in that prayer. I wanna choose life. I wanna choose Jesus. I wanna make him Lord. With nobody looking around, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you. On my left, I see you. Who else would say, Mel, pray for me? Yeah, up in the balcony, I see you. Praise God. Yeah, you can put your hand down, sir. Thank you. Who else? Yeah, over here on my right, I see you. Thank you, ma'am. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Say, today I choose life, not death. Yeah, thank you. Over here on my left. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Praise God. The Word of God tells us, if you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and can believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So what I want you to do, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. We're all gonna pray it together. But I want you to mean it from the core of who you are, from your heart. I want you to pray this from the center of who you are. The word of God tells us you're gonna be made new, made different. So I want you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me even when I was unfaithful to you. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you that he paid the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, I choose you and I choose life. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, we would love to help you take the next step. Whether you're watching online or here in the room, we would love to help you. And the simplest thing to do is to simply text the word different to the number 94000. If you'll do that, uh, we're gonna get some information from you. We're gonna get some resources in the mail to you and help you take the next step. If you're here in the room and you'd like to fill out a card, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. On one side, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. Fill out the side of the card that says salvation and then drop it at one of our info tables as you're leaving today. They're gonna give you a Bible, give you some information about next steps. Uh, So thank you for worshiping with us today. Thank you for choosing life today. If you're here today and you're a parent and you're struggling, I just want you to know we're here for you. We're praying for you. We're here to resource you, come alongside you. You are not in this alone. We love you and believe in you. Uh, We believe that you are a gift to your kids. So thank you for doing what you do. We wanna help you any way we can. Um, Guys, I tell you every week, and I hope you know it, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.